Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? It's good to be in the house. Can we just thank our worship team for leading us in worship this morning? Come on. Uh, we, are, we are truly, truly blessed. Um, I just love worshiping with you guys. It's, it's wonderful. It's good to, to come into the house and know each and every week that we gather with a bunch of people who are going to exalt Jesus. Amen. And that through that, we're going to encounter him. Uh, my name is Mark. Uh, my wife and I serve as the lead pastors here. Uh, we do want to thank you for coming and spending your Sunday with us or listening or tuning in or streaming or whatever the kids call it these days. Uh, thanks for giving us this opportunity. Uh, that being said, I want, want to do two quick things up front, and then we do have uh, the word to get to this morning. Um, first, I, I want to just uh, continue to, to uh, encourage and call those who are still... Uh, choosing to worship at home, to gather back together and be with us. Amen? Um, again, I always want to just caveat all this, right? Like, we're not speaking to those who have medical concerns or, or, or those types of things or who work in fields that cause them to not be able to be here. We, we, we get that. We understand that. What I'm talking to uh, are the people that I lovingly refer to now as the pajama congregation. So those of you who just would rather be at home in your pajamas, come on, uh, than here in person. Here's the thing. Uh, we, we don't say this. I need, I need an amen from the people who are here. We don't say this because we just want more people in the room. Right? That's not, why we're, that's not why we're making this call. We're saying this because as your pastors, come on, we love you, and we know that it is important, Scripture tells us, to gather together. Uh, it's good for our souls. It's good for our mental health. It's good for our emotional health. Uh, and, and it's just good to be together. Amen? Uh, so with that being said, I really want to encourage uh, those of you uh, who, are, who are a part of this body, whether you're officially a member or whether you're just a, a somebody who just calls this your church home, uh, to really be here next Sunday night, uh, 6 p.m. at our vision night. want to be clear, we are starting at 6 p.m., so, so feel free to show up early and start eating and, and have fun together. We have an amazing night planned. Uh, listen, here's the truth. What these vision nights really are, they're two things. We, we call it a vision night. Uh, but really, it, it does two things. First off, uh, just for legal whatever, uh, it serves as our annual business meeting as, a, as an organization. So if you're interested in numbers, we'll pray for you. Um, now, uh, if, you're, if you're interested in knowing all that stuff, well, we, we present all of that. But, but the other thing that it really is, is for is really an opportunity for us, listen, to rejoice for what God has done and to prophetically rejoice for what we believe he's going to do. Amen? So really, it's a party. So just uh, come ready to celebrate because God did amazing things through this house last year, and we believe that the best is yet to come. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, we're in a series through John. You probably figured that out from the video if you're new. Um, we have made it to John chapter 15, and uh, we, are, we are making our way through that. Uh, if you got your Bibles, let's just jump straight into the Word. we got a lot to cover this morning. Uh, this, this Word is honestly pretty heavy on my heart. I think it's important for us. Uh, I, I get I get 
very excited and very emotional whenever uh, we come back around to the topic that we are going to address today. So John chapter 15, verse 1, let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's word. If you do not have a Bible with you, you can read the Sky Bible. You can download one for free on your phone or just lean over to your neighbor and snuggle up. Um, All the introverts just walked out of the church. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 1, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine. Everybody say true vine. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How much can you do? How much can you do? Nothing. Verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burn. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. You did not hear that. You didn't, or else you'd be dancing around the room. Okay, okay. As the Father has loved me, come on, so have I loved you. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. We're going to talk about how ridiculous it is here in a minute. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christians are supposed to be happy people. Amen? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. Come on, we thank you for your word, God. We rejoice over your word. We, we, we rejoice over the proclamation of your word. We rejoice over the promise of your word. We rejoice over the prophetic power of your word. We rejoice because we know if you said it, God, it is complete, it is finished, it is done. And so, God, we come to you this day to receive your word, to hear your voice, to be transformed by what we hear. God, we are excited for the renewing of ourselves, the the revelation of who you've called us to be and who you are and how that fits together and how that changes everything, Lord. We, we, We are excited for all that you long to do in us and through us. So God, come and depart and deposit your word within us that it might be seed, as it were, to our souls. Bearing much, much, much fruit, 30, 60, come on, and a hundredfold return, God. Utterly transforming the very fiber of our being. Change the way we think today, God. Let us think more like you, that we might walk more like you, that we might love more like you, that we might be the answer to the groaning of the earth, the revealing of the sons of God in the earth today. God, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, everybody said Come on, everybody said? Greet somebody around you real fast and grab a seat.
Amen, amen, amen. It's good to be in the house today. Um, I think that what we're going to talk about today in, in the love of God and, and the reality of, of His love is appropriate because everybody knows what tomorrow is, Single Awareness Day. Um, it's a reminder that you're single if you are, and if you're married, it's a chance to get in trouble. Um, so it's, it's important, I think, it's, it's a good thing to do, but before we get to, to, to really that, which I, I said we we're going to talk about today, uh, if you're taking notes, let, let's, let's do this real fast, um, I'm just going to warn you, we're going to get a little PG-13 this morning. Yeah. Let's be real, in no other context is what I'm about to say be considered PG-13. Only in church would it be considered PG-13, but that's fine. So if you're taking notes, uh, topic this morning, uh, knowing the uncomfortable intimacy of unhindered abiding um, I think that the context of the text really holds within it the seed to unlock everything the Lord has for us as his people. Say that again, if I can remember what I just said. What the word says here, the, the, the message that Jesus is beginning to relay, the, 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 this is the start of really uh, the, 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 the core of what I think John is really all about. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to like thumb wrestle you over it, but I, I, if, you, if you made me, I would say that probably John, like 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, might be some of the most important bit of scripture ever. Now, now like, I recommend the whole book, okay? Like, like Pastor Mark approved, right? Like all of it, six, six books, 40 authors, like, like dig in, have, have, a, have a buffet, right? Like go for it. I'm just saying that there's, there's, there's a lot here that unlocks a lot of the other stuff that's there. So I think it's important for us to really take some time and dive into this, to, 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 to unpack all of this. And so I want, us, I want, to, I want to look at, at the text because I want us to make sure we kind of know what's going on here. See, there's some scholars who say that John 15 is in the wrong place in John. Because, because, right, if you remember, John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. They're in the upper room. They're in this place of, of an intimate, account, intimate encounter, and, and, and they're having this sort of dialogue. And then all of a sudden, John 15 seems to just, like, shift gears tonally. And so there are people out there that say, no, this is, this is in the wrong spot. Clearly, Jesus said this somewhere else. But if you track with the logic of the text, here's the amazing thing to me. I, I wonder, scholars are supposedly people who study the text, but if you just read the text, it totally makes sense. Imagine that. Just read the Bible and the Bible makes sense. Because see, Jesus' last words in John 14 are, rise, let us go from here. So they're in one place. This is really deep. They're in one place and he tells them, let's go somewhere else. And imagine that, that as they go somewhere else, the tone of the conversation changes. 
as they move from, as they move from, from, from this, this intimate place of encounter to, to actually going to the garden, the place of surrender, the, the, the conversation begins to change. Now, 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 now the, 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 the thing we need to grasp here, the thing we need to look at is that logical progression. See, he had told them previously in, in 13 and 14, he'd kind of let them know that the physical proximity type of relationship that they'd had with him is about to change. He was there with them physically, right, up until this point. And he says, look, I'm going away. Things are about to shift. Things are about to change. Things are about to be different moving on from here. And now what he's doing is he's pointing them to to a more stable, a more real, uh, can we say it, a, a supernatural way that he is now calling them to relate to him. He's saying, yes, look, I'm not denying that physical proximity is about to change. I'm not physically going to be with you anymore, but guess what? I'm still the source for all that you have need of. All of this comes under the context of abiding. Abiding is the primary theme of the text, amen? It's mentioned some 15 times in 10 verses. I think Jesus is trying to get us to understand his call for us to abide. Now, we've defined this. I won't spend a lot of time on it. We've defined abide. To abide is to rest and remain in the life-giving union and intimacy of mutual indwelling. To abide is to rest and remain. It's not something we do once and then like, hey, cool, check that off the box. Now I can get to go do something else. No, I rest and I remain. I, I sit and I stay. I don't, I, don't, I don't do it and then move on from it. I sit and stay. I rest and remain. Where do I rest and remain? In my life-giving union and intimacy of the mutual indwelling of me and Jesus. Amen. And while there is certainly deep, meaningful application, listen, to this imagery, all, all, of this, all, of this, all of this abiding happens under the, or in front of rather the backdrop of the, this, this picture of Jesus being the vine. And while there's, there's a lot of, of personal application that is right for us to draw from that, I, I, think, we need to, I think we need to understand that, that the reality is there's a lot going on in the text. There's an imagery that for us, come on, for us 21st century Christians, we miss some of this imagery. And here's, here's how you can know that you miss it. Why does Jesus say he's the true vine? Why, why does he make this distinction? Why does he feel it necessary to say that, 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 that there's, a, there's, a, there's a true vine that he is? Why is he distinguishing it? Well, it's because Israel was called the vine of Yahweh, the vine of God throughout the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, there was a vine, a vineyard re- referenced that, that God, Yahweh, had planted this vineyard, and this vineyard was, was to be a picture, a type, a shadow of, of, of Israel. We see this Isaiah. I have a bunch of verses listed up there. You can go to all of them and just study your little heart's content. But I'm just going to go to one. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump to verse 7. It says this, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared its rocks and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And, and he looked for it to yield grapes, 
but it yielded wild grapes. So what's he talking about? Well, he explains, again, if you keep reading the Bible, the Bible will explain the Bible. Verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plantings. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. See, the vineyard, this, this vine is a picture, is, a, is, a, is an image of Israel. So Jesus here is saying he's the true vine. Jesus is calling himself, he's, he's distinguishing himself from them. It's a fitting description, the, the vine and, 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 and vine planted by the Lord, right? Because if you look through here, this is, a, this is a picture of what the Lord did in bringing his people out of Egypt, out of captivity, come on, and planting them in the promised land. He uprooted all their enemies. He made a space for them. He gave them a fertile place to be. He gave them all that they have need of. And yet consistently we see throughout the, the, the old covenant, throughout the old Testament, we see Israel failing to be the people that God has called them to be. I love this. It says he, it yielded wild grapes. Literally the most direct, this is just, this is extra bonus, has nothing to do with the message, just bonus fun for you. The most direct way to translate wild grapes, you ready? Because this is Hebrew, Old Testament's written in Hebrew, so the most direct way to translate it, stink berries. <laughs> oh, that a translator would have the guts. And he looked for it to yield grapes but it yielded stink berries. <laughs> sour grapes, sour berries. It, it, it yielded a false fruit. See, they failed to bear the good fruit. What Jesus is getting at is this. He's trying to help us see this. The people of Israel look to their standing in national Israel for their sense of self, security, and satisfaction. Right? If, if, you were, if you were Jewish, right? you were Jewish because you belonged to that nation. And if you belonged to that nation, you believed that, that that's who you were. That's, that was your identity. That's, that's, that's who you really were. That you were God's people because you were a part of the nation of Israel. And Israel was safe because it was national Israel. And, 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 and it would be prosperous and it would be satisfied and it would have all that it was promised because it was national Israel. And Jesus here is saying, no. Jesus is saying that Israel is a shadow vine. A form that lacks the true substance of the genuine. Now, pause, pause, pause. This is 0% anti-Semitic. This, this, uh, this is not, G the, listen, you as a Christian don't get to hate Jews because the guy who saved you was a? Okay, so shut up about that. Okay, that's not what this is. That's not this, what, what Jesus is talking about is that they went to a place to try to find who they were that was not capable of producing what they longed to find there. See, Israel is only the vine of God in that it points to, come on, the true vine, which is Jesus. True, this, this word true literally means that which has not only the name and representation, but the real nature corresponding to that name. The idea here, that the idea of, of, of true is the difference between having a picture of someone and that person standing in front of you. Israel was meant to be a picture 
It was never meant to be the actual source. Israel is the vine of God as much as it points to Jesus who is the true vine. Amen? So yes, there's a personal application, but we have to understand the context around which this text comes to us. Jesus is speaking to a bunch of Jews saying, listen, you're going to one place to find your identity, but I'm about to tell you that I'm the place where you're going to find your identity because Jesus is the true source of your true identity. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is the true, the the real, the genuine, the substance of where you find your true self, your true identity. If you're going to other places, you are going to shadow vines. And it's real easy for us to step back and look at Israel and go, they were dumb. And yet it is so tempting for us to do the same exact thing, to look for affirmations about who we are from other places other than Jesus. To look at our appearance, to look at our surroundings, to look at our success, to look at our family, to look at our achievements, to look at our, our, our status as either a victor or a victim, to look at ourselves in that lens it, broadly, we, we, we can go to things like our ethnicity, like our culture. We can go to things like our political affiliations or our lack thereof. We can go to, we can go to things like our sexual orientation. We can go to things like the, the things that we enjoy, the friends that we have, the circles that we run in. And we can look to those things. And listen, some of those things may, listen, may reflect some of who you are, but those are not all of who you are. That cannot be the core of who you are. It must be informed by who Jesus says you are. Now before I define, before I I clarify, before I try to distill out of this text who Jesus says you are, I want to be super, super clear. I referenced it earlier, but I want to be clear. Jesus has an audience right now that the people that are listening to him speak are exclusively believers. Everyone hearing what Jesus is saying right now, the only people we know for sure to be there are the 11 disciples, not Judas. And you can see, I point this out because I think it's important for us to understand who's being spoken to in the text. This is true. Anytime you read your Bible, who is he talking to? Who is, who is being addressed here? Because we, we, we understand, right? We, we've learned this, but we'll just say it because we, we know, but there's other people here who don't know, but we know. That the distinction between believer and non-believer is not just what we claim to be true about Christ. What we claim to be true about Christ changes everything. Who you are in him, how you relate to Jesus is the single most important and telling thing about you. Not what you look like, not what you just, this is why we say as a church and why we are attempting with every fiber of our being in this world of craziness to prove that we really mean Jesus unites us more than anything divides us because that's the most important thing. 
So it's important for us to understand that this text is spoken exclusively to believers. Notice a subtle little difference. This is just because we're, we're studying through the whole book. We're not just jumping into this text. So let's remember back in verse 10 of chapter 13. Jesus said something similar to what he says here in verse 3. In verse 3, he says, "You are Already you are clean because of what I have spoken to you. Back in chapter 13, he said, You are clean by the words that, I've spo- that I speak to you, but not all of you. Because why? Judas was still in the room. So we got to understand, this is, this is spoken directly to believers. So what I'm about to say, hear me now. What I'm about to say applies exclusively to you if you have repented and believed. If not, it does not apply to you, but good news, it can. All you have to do is repent and believe. So I, I don't, I don't want anybody walking out. This is why this is so important. So important that we get this. Because getting this, as a believer, this is vital for you to understand to, to walk in all that God has called you to walk in. And if you're not a believer and you think all this is true of you, you'll have a false assurance and you will fail to be who God desires you to be. So who are you? If Jesus is the true source of your true identity, who does he, in the context of this text, who does he say you are? You are a branch abiding in the true vine, cared for by the vine dresser, destined to bear much fruit. I'm going to read that again. You are a branch abiding in the true vine, cared for by the vine dresser, destined to bear much fruit. I don't care what else in your life says anything else about who you are. Because I will choose to believe the testimony of Jesus over the falsehood, lies, and propaganda of even your own behavior. You go, I don't feel like a branch abiding in the vine. I don't care. I want you to feel like a branch abiding in the vine. I, you, you, but but <laughs> Jesus' testimony does not alter based upon your current feelings. And Jesus said... You are a branch abiding in the true vine, cared for by the vine dresser, destined to bear much fruit. Let, let's, 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 let's live here for a second because, because we, we've, we've got to get our arms wrapped around this. You are a branch. That's who you are. You're a branch. You're... you're, you're your virtue, your vitality, and your value all flows from your connection to the vine. All of it happens through that abiding. All of that happens. Apart from him, the text says you can do how much? How much is nothing? It's all of it. Let that bake your noodle for a second. See... My, my life's evidence says Jesus is a liar. I can do all kinds of stuff without Jesus. Don't make me testify. 
But some of y'all need to say amen to some of the stuff y'all did before Jesus. Come on, somebody. Jesus, what do you mean I can do nothing? What do you mean I can't do anything apart from you? I do all, I do all kinds of stuff apart from you. The sum total value of all that you do apart from him is nothing. But, but here's, here's the problem. As a preacher, this is where we like to live. You can do nothing. You can do nothing. You can do nothing. He says it one time. The, the context of the passage is not you can't do anything without Jesus. The context of the passage is with him. Come on. You will bear much fruit. The point of the passage is not to make you afraid to not abide. The point of the passage is to make you excited to abide. But, but for too long, we've let religion just use fear to keep us abiding. Again, I already destroyed part of this argument because, because the, the, the translation, I'm, I, I'm, I don't want to have to touch on this every week, but I probably will. Where it says that it, the, the branches that do not bear fruit, he takes away. That takes away is a bad translation. We, we, we learned this before, right? What it really means is that he bears it up. He lifts it off the ground so that it can bear fruit. Come on, when you go through fruitless seasons, he doesn't discard you. He draws near to you. He's close to you. You are destined, come on, to bear much fruit. That's why you're plugged into the vine. Now, there's a warning that if we, if we cease to abide, then we dry up, and the only useful thing for us to be used for is to be thrown into the fire. Is there a warning about that? Yes, but that only happens if you stop abiding. But as long as you have a religious picture in your head that the Father is just waiting for you to not make enough fruit, and he's just right there with the clippers. You better, you better make a grape. It better not be a stinkberry. Quack! Apply that to your parenting. That's not at all what we do. Oh, my kids, I told him to take out the trash four times. I'm just going to kick him out. He's four, I know, but you know. (laughs) If you got rid of your kids, come on, every time they gave you a stink berry, they would have been gotten rid of when they were just, that's all they produced. (laughs) Little bundles of stink berry. No, he draws near to us, beloved. He draws near to us. You are a branch. I think we need to let love, come on, have its perfect work in us and cast out all fear and stop being afraid of what happens if we don't abide and start getting excited about what happens when we do abide. You are called to abide. Not so you don't wither and die, but so that you bear much fruit. Is Jesus honest with us? Does he tell us what will happen to us if we stop abiding? But is that why we're called to abide? No. We're not called to abide so we don't wither and die. We're called to abide so that we bear much fruit. Now here's where it gets uncomfortable for some people. As branches in the true vine, you experience the mutual indwelling. You in him and him in you, right? That's what he says. You're in me and my words are in you. There's a mutual indwelling. This is at the core of what it means to abide. This this reality is so uncomfortable 
to the religious and so unbelievable to the rebellious. Because there's no way we think that I can be in him and he can be in me. So what we do is we either just dismiss it or we just say, well, he's just being poetic. But there's no evidence here. And we're, if it makes you uncomfortable now, it's going to get real uncomfortable in the next two chapters. See, we exist in this mutual indwelling. The language that gets used in the scriptures of this mutual indwelling of us in him and him in us and this, this abiding relationship we have is, is the same language used of the intimacy known by a husband and a wife. Now, now don't miss this. It is far deeper than even that intimacy. But when, when it, it, it's so, it's, it's so, 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 so in all encompassing that the only language that, that we can go reach for and find ends up being in the bucket of sexual intimacy. And so some of us just kind of, well, let's just, well, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just kind of like, <laughs> we're in church, pastor, come on. Just push that aside and we'll just, we'll just move along to some other things. And yet without an embrace of the reality of the intimacy that we are called to, we will never get to the place of being who we are destined to be in him. And so I'm fully aware that it makes us uncomfortable and I'm fully aware that we would rather just sort of change the verbiage, adjust things around and let's just make it more comfortable. No, there's no room in the text to do that. You abide in him. He abide. There's a mutual indwelling. This, into, in this intimacy is the catalyst for the reality of our identity in him. Let me put it this way. Let me put it really, really simple. You will never be who you are you will never be who you truly are until you allow yourself to swim out into the dark waters of his love. And here's the reality of those waters. They're not calm. They're not gentle. They're not nice. They're dark. They're deep and they are designed to drown you. You are not meant to survive your swim into the ocean of his love. You die there. You die there. As long as you're trying to live in his love, you'll never know his love. Because you're trying to have his love around you, and he wants you to go under and let it in. And the you that's always lived the life that you live can't survive that. But the you that he created can only live there. You exist in the intimacy, the affection, and the care of the Father and the Son. That's where you exist. You, you don't exist to do your job, to be a spouse, to raise your kids, to be a child, to achieve stuff. You exist according to the words of Jesus. He's the vine. His Father's the vine dresser. You're a branch stuck between 
the affection and the care and the love of the vine dresser to the vine. With the same love that my dad loves me, I love you. That's the key to abiding. You are loved and there's nothing you can do about it. That, 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 that's what Jesus says. Cause like, even if you're like, I'm just, I'm, you know what? I'm not going to bear fruit. He's like, guess what? It's just going to make him be around you more. Your kids get rebellious. What is, what, 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 what do parents do? They just get in your life more. I've said this for years to y'all. You can run away from Jesus all you want, but he can run longer and faster than you. So in the end, you're just tired and he still wins. You are desperately, madly, insanely, scandalously, recklessly loved by God. Not with a secondary love, with the same love that the Trinity loves itself with, he loves you with. Religion never taught me this. Come on, religion never taught me this. Religion, okay, PG-13, I warned you. Religion taught me, I'm going to go as PG-13 as I can. Religion taught me that intimacy was for reproduction. You, You tracking with me? Right, like intimacy is just for reproduction. No, it's not. <laughs> and all y'all married people in the room know it. Like, I, I firmly believed. My, 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 my parents, my, my, my parents, I come from a blended family. Can I get a whoop whoop from all the blended family people in the room? Come on. Um, I, I come from a blended family, uh, which means I deserve therapy. And, um, but my parents, my mom, my dad, my, 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 my biological mom, my biological dad, they have four kids. I firmly believed my entire life my parents had sex four times because I was just more comfortable with that idea. Right? Like, well, that, with four kids, four, that's just, that, that, that's all I need to, that's, I, I, have to, I have to be aware that that happens. So that's just what, but come on. What we need to understand is this, that, 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 that God designs the intimacy that we have for him, yes, for reproduction, yes, for productivity, yes, to bear fruit. You abide in the vine so that you can bear fruit, but you don't simply abide in the vine just so you can bear fruit. You abide in the vine because the vine loves you. Please do not allow religion to come and say, the only reason Jesus wants to be intimate with you is to make you productive. Beloved, I did this for years. Well, Jesus, 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 you know, I'll be close to Jesus. He'll, he'll be with me as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But he, listen, listen, just listen to this. Listen to this for a second. Here's what I thought. Jesus will be intimate with me as long as I am fruitful. But if I stop being fruitful, he'll stop being intimate with me until I'm fruitful again. There's a, there's a fundamental misunderstanding of biology there. I use this all the time because I know it makes some of y'all uncomfortable and I just enjoy this. But 
Abraham and Sarah. God comes to visit Abraham, says Sarah is going to be pregnant next year when I come around. Sarah laughs at God, the mother of the faith. Laughs at God. God says it's going to happen. What was Abraham's job to make sure that happened? At 100 years old and Sarah at 90 years old, chase her around the tent. Be, be intimate. There, there has to be intimacy for that production. See, we, 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 I'm not denying that the intimacy that we have is the thing, the catalyst for the productivity that is our destiny. But don't think... Beloved, do not think that that's the only reason. What God was calling, oh, come on. What God was calling Abraham to in that moment was this. Abraham, I know you've gone to other things thinking that they are the thing that's going to make you fruitful. Thinking that they're going to be the thing that's going to make you be able to walk in the promises that I've given you. But, but, but Abraham, fall back in love with Sarah. Come back to your first love. I know you think it's just been worthless, but it's not. Keep drawing near. Keep, keep chasing around the tent. Fall back in love with her. Make her fall back in love with you. Stop making your intimacy just about reproduction. I promise you, Abraham, you do that. Come on. And in a year, you'll have a baby. You Abide in the love and affection and care of the Father, but do not make that simply about reproduction. Do you know why God says he loves you? Because he loves you. And who are you, the Bible says, as the pot to tell the potter what it has to do? So you denying Yourself, the experience of his love is your rebellion against him dressed up like religion. Well, I mean, I fear the Lord. You should. You should fear anybody who loves you with the reckless raging fury that God loves you with. Beloved, we cannot, we cannot be who we are until we let ourselves drink this water. Until we let ourselves drown in this water. A man who's probably shaped my theology more than I want to admit is a guy named Brennan Manning. I say it more than I care to admit because Brennan Manning is a failed Catholic priest. And I read words that he wrote in a book called Oh, I read these words. Abba loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. Those words changed my life. Everything up until that point, I thought God loved me only as I ought to be. He loved me as much as I was who I ought to be. Those words changed my life. God doesn't love you as you, are, as you ought to be. He loves you as you are. God loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. Here's what I've come to believe now, even beyond that. I think, I think Brennan got the first part right. I think he, he didn't go far enough. 
God loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. And he loves you so much that he makes you who you ought to be. His love is what makes you what you ought to be. See, we, you are a branch abiding in the true vine. Cared for by the vine dresser. He loves you. Yes, you're destined to prefer. I think this has to be a process. We have to, we have to walk through this. You, we we want to just jump to the bear much fruit part. I don't have to admit that I'm just a vine or just a branch. I don't have to do the abiding in the vine thing. I don't, have to, I don't have to walk out into the uncomfortable ocean of his love and realize that I'm loved with the same love that the father loves the son. That, 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 no, no, that's just, just look, look, just, just tell me how much money to give. Tell me where to serve in the church. Tell me who I have to tell them they're an awful, disgusting sinner. Make it somebody I don't like. And then, and then, and then I'll just, we'll be good. Just give me the list of what to do and I'll do it. But don't make me just sit at your feet and hear that you love me because I can't handle that. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll achieve whatever I need to achieve. But don't just make me sit here. How do I beat this addiction? How do I get over this perpetual habit of sin and failure? What do I do? Just tell me what the steps are, and I'll do the steps. Sit down. I love you. No, 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 but, but I, 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 I screwed up last night. You don't, you, Jesus, you don't get to love me now. You get to love me later after I clean up my mess. And he says, no, 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 no. I love you now. Not as you ought to be, but as you are. I didn't come, he didn't come down after the kingdom had come. He came down to bring the kingdom. He didn't come down after we got all of our stuff together. He came down to get, come on, all of our stuff together. You're a branch abiding in the vine, cared for by the vine dresser, destined to bear much fruit. As long as you abide, fruit is the inevitable consequence of your abiding. Abraham, I promise, if you just keep abiding with your wife, mm -hmm, she'll get pregnant. But it hasn't worked yet. I'm 100 years old, Abram says. She's 90. Keep abiding. You are a branch, abiding in the true vine, cared for by the vine dresser, destined, destined, destined to bear much fruit. You glorify Abba when you, come on, come on, when he cares for you and causes you to bear fruit. Did you hear what I said? You glorify your father in heaven when he cares for you and he causes you to bear fruit. That sentence makes no sense. How do I glorify him when he does stuff for me? Because he's the vine dresser and you're just the branch. He cares for you. He causes you to be fruitful. I said this a couple weeks ago, I think, maybe, I don't know. Somebody still needs to hear it. Believer, beloved, follower of Christ, it is his job to make you fruitful, not yours. So you are right 
where he wants you to be at this exact moment. Some of y'all, some of, some of y'all have, have fashioned instruments to, to, to beat yourself with because you think you're not far enough along on your journey with the Lord as if you were the one in charge of your journey with the Lord. Now, am I, am, am I standing up here telling you, like, just go ahead and sit? No, but here's the great thing. The only way you know that the true gospel is being preached is if it has to be followed up with, this is not an excuse to keep sinning. That's, that's, that's what Paul says. So you need to hear, believer, beloved, you need to hear, you are right where he wants you. Now, part of where he's brought you might be uncovering all of the worthless crap and the worthless places. You still go looking for what is good. But you're here right now. What do you do? You learned how to do it when you started. Admit and abandon. Wow, this stuff is worthless. Let it go. Stop going to shadow vines, hoping for something that will cause you to be fruitful when the only way you can glorify your father is when he cares for you and he causes you to bear fruit. It's the only way, it's the only way, it's the only way, it's the only way. There is no other way. No other way exists. You can't get here by any other means. How many ways do I need to say it? I need to say it as many ways as we've lied to ourselves thinking that there's other ways. It doesn't matter how unfruitful you feel or how unfruitful you are right now. The prescription for fruitfulness is abiding. But see, we've lived in a, in a society, in a structure, in a system for our whole lives that say that we have to earn merit and prove that we deserve to be where we are. But the kingdom is not like the systems and structures of the world that we've lived our whole lives in. Please hear me, beloved, pastoral moment. I'm not telling you to take this and apply it to your productivity at your job. Well, boss, um, I'm just abiding, and really, you're the one that's supposed to make me productive. You see how ridiculous that sounds? That's why we call the gospel scandalous, because that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But the gospel is not just that, the gospel is not just that, that, that he makes you productive, that he makes you fruitful, that he makes you, that he, he, he does, that the, the gospel is that you were dead <laughs> and he still does it. You didn't just show up to work late. You showed up to work dead and you still didn't get fired because he made it up. He made it up. He's the one that does it. He's the one that does it. He's the one that does it. You are a branch abiding in the true vine, cared for by the vine dresser, destined to bear much fruit. As we come to fully believe this, as we come to fully believe that that is who you are, 
So we come to believe that. I believe that's when everything else gets unlocked. That's when we know the security that we're desi- we desire. Do you realize that you're secure because he makes you secure? You're secure because he doesn't let you go. I, I used this for years. I don't, know, I don't know the last time I used it, but the difference between what I call monkey faith and kitten faith, real deep. If you go to the wild and you see monkeys with their babies, these monkeys live in the wild and they have to survive. Survival is their goal. So they have babies, and here's what the little babies do. If you've never seen a little baby chimpanzee, like your life is about to get real good when you Google this later. They're the most like adorable. Like, they're just amazing. And here's the part where I ruin the cuteness. We find dead baby chimpanzees all over the ground in the jungle. Because it's that little baby chimpanzee's job to hold on to mama as she runs all over the forest trying to make sure they survive. It's up to the little monkey to hold on. Compare that to the way a cat takes care of its kittens. Anybody ever have cats in your house? There's exorcism, so you can get rid of those. (laughs) Kittens run off over here, and they get over here, and what does mama do? She goes over, and she picks them up, and they kind of wriggle around, whatever. She picks them up, carries them back over, puts them where they go. Picks them up. Carries them over, puts them where they go. Religion tells us we have to have monkey faith. Jesus is going, he's doing, he's got a purpose, he's got a plan, he's got a destiny, he's moving the earth. You better hold on, because if you fall off, you're going to fall and die. Oh, come on, when you wander off, (laughs) Jesus steps up, walks over, picks you up, (laughs) come on, carries you back where you belong, and sets you down. And if you're like me, you instantaneously get back up, and run away. (laughs) And he comes over, and he picks you up, and he carries you back, and he puts you down until you are convinced that everything you need is right where he put you. But I have spiritual ADHD. I have real ADHD too. I also have spiritual ADHD. Permeates my whole being. So if there's shiny stuff over there, my inclination is like, let's go chase that. All the while, I live in the place of never-ending light. And yet, shiny stuff can... Worthless things. And then all of this lands in, in another just crazy, crazy, ridiculous verse. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Can I just, for is scandalous that he would give us his joy, but also can we just stop for a moment and realize that the last half of that sentence is just absolutely hilarious? I don't know how big your joy container is, how big, how much happiness you're able to contain, but I, I guarantee you Jesus can hold more than you. And so when he says like, I'm gonna give you my joy and your joy is gonna be full, it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that would work pretty sure that if I had the joy of Jesus, my joy would be full. He says this to you. He says, you are a branch 
abiding in the true vine, cared for by the vine dresser, destined to bear much fruit so that his joy can be in you and your joy can be full. So as long as you're arguing with this, you're never going to know the joy that satisfies your soul. I know you're all tied up in religion and think, well, no, I got to argue with him. And I like, I go, look, I'm not worthy. He's fully aware of your unworthiness. Do you really think the father, when he wrote the check to redeem you, thought that was a good deal? Jesus is not looking for the lemon law to kick in on you, okay? Like, this one's broken. Like, he knew you were broken when he bought you. What do we, what do we lovingly refer to ourselves around here? The island of misfit toys. He was fully aware that that's who you are. He doesn't say that all of the not broken branches should abide in me. Just abide, just abide, just abide. You are a branch. Come on abiding in the true vine, cared for by the vine dresser, destined to bear much fruit. So why are you looking anywhere else for a sense of yourself, your safety, and your satisfaction? Why? This is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. I'll preach for another hour at you if you don't believe it. This is who you are. This is who, everyone's like, I will say amen as much as I have to say amen if you will just be finished. Let's stand to our feet. I want to ask this question because I think we need to spend some time on it. As we move into our response, I think it's appropriate that we do so. What, what are your shadow vines? Hear the question I'm about to ask you. What are the worthless things that you are going to for a sense of yourself, your safety, and your satisfaction? Because, because, because they, they, will, they will all fail you. The sense I have this morning is simply this, that the, the Lord wants to reveal his love to his people. You, you cannot be who you are called to be without understanding that who you are is a branch abiding in the true vine, cared for by the vine dresser, destined to bear much fruit. long as we're fighting that truth we'll continue to go to other places and other things some of you have struggled with addiction for so long that you think that you are an addict abiding in the vine you're a branch abiding in the vine some of, you, some of you just have, have gotten so used to perpetually falling in sin patterns that you're just like, well, that's just who I am. I'm just somebody who struggles. 
No, you are a branch abiding in the true vine, cared for by the vine dresser, destined, promised, guaranteed to not just bear some fruit, but to bear much fruit. That needs to be the totality of your identity. You are recklessly, scandalously, outrageously loved by God. With the same love that the Father loves the Son, He loves you. You are caught up in the swirl of the divine. Believer, talking to you, that's where you live. Whether, you, whether your life is reflecting it or not, that's where you live. I said I was going to go PG-13. Here's where I prove it. Here's the word I felt like the Lord gave me before I walked into this room this morning. That the Lord wants to reveal intimately, personally, individually to you his love. But some of you keep paying for love from other things and are thus robbing yourself of the experience of his love. We keep giving ourselves, we keep whoring ourselves out, the scriptures say, to try to get what we think we need, when all the while Abba is standing, hands outstretched, saying, I will give you everything you need. You just have to be willing to stop visiting those places so that you can know his love. Stop looking to all this other worthless stuff for who you are. What, what does that look like right now? What am I saying right now? What I'm saying is, is I say you are loved by God. You keep thinking, no, but, but you don't know about this. Here's another phrase that has been wrecking my life lately. This time it comes from worship music, shockingly. The one who knows you best is the one who loves you most. Well, Jesus only loves me because he doesn't know what I did last Tuesday. Really? Come on, it's time, it's time to receive your own revelation of just how much the Father loves you. Not as you ought to be, as you are. You want to know what's going to change this city? A bunch of people who know that they're loved by the Father. Not a bunch of people who've perfectly mastered apologetics. Not a bunch of people who can, who can do signs and wonders and miracles and everybody they get prayed for, they, 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 everybody gets healed. No, a bunch of people who know that they are recklessly, ridiculously, madly in love and loved by Father. Now, I said this before, if, 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 if you're here and you're not a believer, Literally, I don't mean to be rude. None of what I said today applies to you. It might feel good to hear it, but it's, it's, not, it's not to you. It's a love letter written to somebody else. You might enjoy reading it, but you are not its destined recipient. But here's the, here's the scandalously good news. Just because you walked in here, not the recipient of it, doesn't mean that in this moment you can't become the recipient of it.
Bible simply says this, that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sin. We are his enemies and we are separated from him. Whether we know it or not, we are living our lives in in direct opposition. What R.C. Sproul once called cosmic treason. (laughs) We are living in opposition to him. But Jesus Christ, the righteous one, came to show us who the Father is, came to reveal the reality of his goodness, came to pay the penalty for our failings, came to defeat, come on, our rebellion, to conquer our rejection, and to win us back to himself, to bear upon his flesh the penalty for your sin and for my sin. He was buried. Three days later, he conquers all, proves that he has conquered all of his enemies by rising again to life so that we might die with him. Come on, and be buried with him and be raised to newness of life with him. That we might go from being his enemies to being his family. That we might go from being dead to being alive. That we might go from being a withered branch to being grafted into the vine that we might go, hear me, from being just objects, rather objects of his just wrath to being objects of his divine affection. It happens that fast. How does it happen? When we repent and believe, when we admit and abandon the shadow vines that we go to and we embrace him as the true vine. And if you're doing that this morning, we believe if that's happening on the inside of you, not if you just mentally agree with that Jesus was a guy and he lived and he died and he rose. No, no. If that's happening on the inside of you, if you're abandoning your shadow vines, you are embracing the true vine. The Bible says that you are welcomed into the family of God and that angels rejoice. So we're going to move toward our response. We respond through contemplation, celebration, and communion. Start with communion. One, we have people that would love to stand and pray with you. Over here by the cross, they would love to stand and pray and believe God to move mightily in your life. We believe, church, I need an amen. We believe that when we pray, stuff happens. We receive testimonies of answered prayers, okay? Not because we've mastered the art of prayer, but because we know the master of prayer. So we commune one with another. We, we, we open our hearts and, and allow ourselves to be vulnerable with one another. Here's what I'm going through. Here's my struggle. Come on. It can be physical, emotional, financial, relational. doesn't matter. We would love to stand with you and pray with you. Love it. It's an honor and a privilege. The team is waiting to do it. I like to tell this group over here, it's worth the walk. We know it's all the way over there. They had to walk for coffee. You have to walk for prayer. It's a deal, okay? You made it when you chose your seat. The other way we commune is through the gift of communion given to us by Jesus to remember the means by which all of this takes place, his broken body. Come on, his shed blood, his sacrifice on our behalf. Given to us to remember his communion. We take here by a method known as antiquation. Again, these tables are open to all who put their faith in Jesus. If you're a believer, these tables are open to you. If you're still exploring this thing, we would ask that you would abstain from this until you have come to a place of surrendering to Jesus. But if you are a believer, Welcome to the buffet. 
We take by antiquation. It means taking a piece of bread and dipping it in the cup and partaking. We have gluten-free available on the edges if you need that. Feel free. Also, we, we, I do forget to mention sometimes, but if you're not comfortable with that sort of thing in this sort of environment right now, uh, we do have little baskets sort of stationed around the back of the room uh, with what I lovingly refer to as Keurig communion, little prepackaged communions of, it, they say it's bread. Um, it's in there. It chews, kind of. So uh, you're welcome to partake in those if, if, you, if you would need. It's, 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 yeah, we'll just, we prayed over it. It's fine. Um, communion celebration. We're going to worship. Amen. We're going to sing. But I think the most important thing we're going to do this morning is the contemplation element. I want to encourage you to just get some space. If you need to find a space in this room, if you need to come forward, if you need to move back, if you need to kneel, sit, whatever you may need to do, I think the Lord wants to reveal his love to his people today. And sometimes what he asks of us is a shift in our posture to prepare us. Come on to receive things. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to respond. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. God, we do declare we're not rushing through this. Lord, I know that this, this, this can be uncomfortable for some of us. I pray that you would give us grace. I know the thought of just being loved by you can be more than we can really handle sometimes. but I pray that you would, my my prayer, my heart this morning is that you would chase away lovers less wild. As As we seek to find other things, shadow vines, things that will satisfy us, things that will make us feel secure, things that will tell us who we are. Those are lovers less wild than you, God. We think they're all this stuff, but they, 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 they are pathetic and they pale in comparison to the reckless, raging fury that we call the love of God. My prayer is that this morning not a single one of your sons would leave this room not knowing, not being fully convinced that they are loved by you personally, powerfully loved by you. Holy Spirit, don't let us leave this until we get this. Holy Spirit, don't let us leave this until we get this. Undo everything that we believe that is not in line with this because it robs you, Jesus, of the glory that is due your name for the work that you've accomplished on our behalf. To believe any less than this is to rob you, Jesus, of all that you have done for us. Holy Spirit, come and reveal your love. Holy Spirit, come and win our hearts. Holy Spirit, come and reveal your love. In Jesus' name, church, let's respond to the Lord.